Yeah, I think there's balance in all of it. I think you hit that that fourth quarter and it matters. Then then you go try and win a football game. Um, you know, and maybe it's just again, we're all a product of our experiences. And yeah. I got my helmet concaved at Michigan State. I got hit by two guys trying to dive into the end zone on senior day at Michigan State. My hel- my helmet literally caved in. And uh oh, so yeah, that was the end of it for me. Um, but it didn't change the way that I played. You know, I went on and <laughs> and did all of this, the crazy stuff that I would continue to do in the NFL and try and, and dive. And, you know, when I played for Scott Linehan, we were running speed options, doing different stuff. Welcome to 90% Mental and the in and out of the podcast series with all pro quarterback Jake the Snake Plumber and mental performance coach Grant Parr, where the mental game is discussed and discovered by the best quarterbacks and offensive-minded professionals in the business. From overcoming adversity, celebrating mental wins, to actionable mental skills strategies and more, you'll learn how to mentally navigate in and out of the pocket. Today in the pocket, Jake and Grant sit down with Drew Stanton, NFL quarterback, to discuss how he prepared for his next man up mindset throughout his career and what it took to create weekly rhythm in his preparation. Drew shares the importance of identifying great mentors, controlling the controllables, and holding yourself accountable to an elite standard. Ready List Sports is the future of sports playbooks with its digitized integration of multiple learning styles that helps coaches teach better and players learn more efficiently. Engineered by former professional quarterbacks, ReadyList Sports' revolutionary play drawing tool will save coaches countless hours creating plays. ReadyList Sports also provides the players accessibility to study their playbooks using the ReadyList Sports app for iOS and Android. It's like having the playbook in your pocket. The best part of ReadyLists are the auto-generated tests the players take after studying that help ensure retention of your plays. Now let's all huddle up and go visit ReadyListSports.com. Welcome back to the In and Out of the Pocket podcast series with Jake the Snake Plumber and myself, Grant Parr. Jake and I are just super stoked to have this show where we can talk about the mental game from a quarterback perspective and we're bringing on incredible elite quarterbacks, coaches to talk about the mental game, talk about pressure, talk about how to uh, organize your thoughts and lead. So we're super, super excited to bring this show. How you doing, Jake? How you doing, my man? I've been good, you know, getting through uh, a ch- ever-changing world, especially at this current moment we're living in. Uh, six months have already passed in 2020, and it's like, wait a second. So, uh, yeah, just continuing to to – grow and evolve and figure out how to make the world a little more peaceful and better. And one way is to do a podcast and uh, bring on amazing guests like we have today and other guests we've had to, to kind of pick their brains on how they deal with life, life's adversities and challenges you face. And then also to have a little bit of fun and, and throw some wacky questions out there because oh, yeah. it's always good to laugh. It's always good to test yourself or think outside of the proverbial QB box here and, uh, yeah, we're going to tap into that with our awesome guest today. I'm excited. This this kid's amazing. Uh, he's had a great career. When I met him, I immediately was like, wow, what a what a great guy. I can see why so many people talk so highly about him, uh, not only a, a, as his skills on the field, but his, uh, his personality, his approach to life, his approach to his teammates, 
Um, so with that being said, I'll go ahead and introduce our guest today, if you're all right with that, Grant. Yeah, he let's spent go. years in the league. Uh, he, he hasn't played and started a whole lot of games, probably as many as he wanted, but he's been uh, what some have called the QB whisperer as a backup, and that's Drew Stanton. I want to welcome Drew to In and Out of the Pocket. How you doing, Drew? I'm doing great, thanks. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man, it's exciting to have you on. You've had a, a great career. You're now in the midst of all kinds of stuff happening, so thank you for agreeing to come on the podcast with, with a move. In the middle of a move, you're unpacking boxes that you can see behind. You have a baby on the way, your fourth. So tell me, what's it like? What's it been like the last couple of months, just like with COVID and contemplating retirement and like the life of Drew? It's been interesting. And I think it, it's, uh, it gives you a lot of time to contemplate because you have way more time on your hands. And so you sit there and, you know, uh, you start processing and you start, uh, you know, trying to find solutions to things. Um, what's not that we have a baby come, we have it. So I've always tried to keep things in perspective that way. Um, and then you add a pandemic to it on top of everything and everything goes in flux. But at the same time, I think you revert back to what you're comfortable with. You kind of circle the wagons. Um, you take care of your family uh, as a leader of the household. Uh, that's always been very important to me and, and being able to do that and be a great example at home. And then it kind of permeates from there. So we, uh, we've gotten through the school year. I had to become a school teacher, <laughs> which was interesting. Uh, you know, a battle on certain days, but at the same time, so rewarding to be able to do that and just, you know, we're, we're never going to get this time back to be with our families. And, and I think that that's what I would try to do is look at it, reflect and say, okay, what am I going to be able to do whenever we come out of this? Are we going to be better off for going through it? And that's been my mindset. That's beautiful to hear. Uh, I think we, I think we've all done a lot of cool reflection through, through this time. And I know that I've learned a lot about myself and even with my, in my relationship with my wife. So that, that's pretty cool to hear, you know, being a quarterback, for as long as I played the game and coaching it and also doing mental performance coaching, I'm just fascinated by the next man up mindset. I, I just wrote a book about a year ago on this topic. And you had the opportunity to back up quarterbacks like Stafford and Culpepper and Carson, um, which I can only imagine just that experience being around those quarterbacks. But how did you get prepared for the game when you didn't have all those reps in practice? And, and did you go into these games supporting those quarterbacks thinking and feeling that you're going to play every game? I think you have to feel like you're going to play every game because if you get caught with your pants down, you go out there, you're going to be out of the league pretty quick. I mean, I, I, uh, I was a second round draft pick by the Detroit lions thought I was going to go there. Hometown kid had, you know, was going to turn things around and then boom, two years in, it was Owen 16. They drafted Matthew Stafford first overall. And I was sitting there going, wow, I might be out of the league soon. So I had to learn to adapt. I had to learn to survive. And my mindset completely shifted of like, Oh, I'm going to be the savior. Like, man, I, I hope I'm on the team. Um, you know, so, so when that becomes the case, you find ways to be valuable. You find ways to be an asset. And through that, I think it, it's all relationship based. Anything that we do um, comes down to relationships. But beyond that, what I've learned throughout the course of my career is it's about communication. When there's a lack of communication, when there's a breakdown in communication um, that you can hopefully plan for you're going to be better off by communicating through that. And then you reflect on that and say, okay, well, where do we break down in communication? Because there's times when you're in the pocket and everything is going great and you just miss a throw. There's a physical component, but there's a mental component that I never wanted to let my teammates down that I took very serious that I wanted to be that bridge for the other people. And when I was young, I felt the need to be the smartest guy in the room 
but I also want to let everybody know it or mm. felt like I needed to know it. Like somebody asked a question, I'd raise my hand and be like, oh, I know the answer. And then as you get more mature and you're like, well, I don't care if I know it in this room or I can sit there and tell you what's going on right here on the, the board or on the film or what blitz is coming. You don't have that knowledge, um, you know, when you're out there playing and you're on a shot clock and you got to see this and you're all of a sudden redirecting the mic. You have to know it cold. And like you said, you don't get those physical reps. So mentally, I had to be so sharp and go above and beyond. And that just literally came through a process. You know, I was so fortunate to be around some great mentor type of guys that showed me, okay, this is what a backup looks like in the NFL. And this is how you sustain that. This is what Monday looks like. This is what Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. So the latter part of my career, it was just like, okay, it's Groundhog's Day. This is what I'm doing on Monday. I'm going to go drop the kids off at school. I'm going to go into the facility. I'm going to go do what I need to do. I'm going to work out. I'm going to watch two games of the next of the past two uh, opponents that our team played. And just what did my eyes see? What did I digest? Okay, this is Tuesday. So it becomes a rhythm. And because of Sean Hill, uh, who's the, the obviously um, my former teammate in Detroit, was the most influential in my career, hands down, because he showed me how to prepare. Um, as opposed to just throwing stuff against the wall and hope it sticks. That's awesome, man. You, you speak about communicating and how important that is. And we all know, I mean, the game is all about communicating non-verbally as well as verbally, especially when you're the QB, all eyes are on you. As a backup, though, and I know you went into many situations where you were, you were hopefully vying to be the starter and fighting for that, scrapping for that, and your players would see that. But once you assume that role as backup, for me, you know, I was back up for a little bit in my early on in my career. Then I started for nine and a half years and then was a, then got benched towards the end of my career. So I didn't spend a lot of time in that secondary role. It was easy to be the guy to lead, to step up, to talk because I was num QB number one. But as QB number two, how did you manage having a voice and being able to have the respect of your teammates where I had scenarios where guys were like, Man, shut up, you're the backup. But in seconds, yeah. you could be the guy. So how I know you've done a phenomenal job because I've talked to many people in the league that have said you're just like the quintessential backup as ready to start, capable, but also able to assume that role. But my question is, how did you get that voice? Like to be able to really at times take a step and say, hey, guys, this is what we need to do. Well, I think it's twofold. First, it's a daily approach of doing everything you possibly can and controlling the controllables, worrying about the stuff that I have control over. And once I was named the backup of, okay, this is my role. How can I, again, be the best that I can be within that role? And then it becomes, a, okay, well, I need to communicate with this person. I need to go talk to the wide receivers and they need to know if they come up and ask me a question, that I know the answer. And if I don't know the answer, I mean, I could tell you number of times that I've been in a meeting, um, you know, and I had the confidence to do it, that I would tell guys what to do and be like, where, where the hell did you get that idea to run this route to do that? Or what were you thinking? <laughs> and you know, a wide receiver is not going to talk back. And I go, you know what, coach, that's my fault or something like this. And it got to the point where like, we just stuck up for each other. We had each other's yeah. back and there'd be times that BA just sit there and cuss me out indirectly you know trying to do that but at the same time i mean I, i've had countless guys come up to me like man i've never been around somebody that's willing to take a bullet like that i'm like hey if i'm wrong i'll admit i'm wrong and that's where it becomes the sense of accountability that's needed um within that and, and you know I, every quarterback i've been around i've tried to take at least one thing from them um most guys have taken more than that from when i've been around them for a longer duration but being around andrew luck uh 
just when he was a rookie and I was older trying to like help him out. I learned so much from him, just the humility he had when he didn't know the answer, he wouldn't sit there and try and BS you and be like, Oh, well, yeah, you know, like when you can just see right through it, he'd be like, no, I don't know, but I want to know, inform, educate me. And it was such a redeeming quality of like, most leaders are afraid to show that, like that vulnerability um, but it was so redeeming in that facet. And I think it, it really helped everybody gravitate towards him uh, on a very young Colts football team at that time and, and carry us to the playoffs. You know, Drew, even when you started in high school, you, you've always been the man. Like you were ranked, what, the number six quarterback in the nation coming out of high school. You go to Mich- Michigan State, you're the dude there. And then you, you get into the NFL and it seems like every time – you moved from a team, you'd go to the uh, to a, a particular organization and they would either bring in some veteran or they would actually draft the franchise dude. How did that, like when you spent early in your career being the dude, being the man, and then you had to deal with that, did that, that affect your confidence or your mindset at all? It definitely wavered early on. I don't think it had to do with the people they brought in. I think it had to do with just, okay, when I first got to Michigan State, you know, my whole dream of growing up, I just wanted to play college football. I knew, you know, the NFL was, was out there and I wanted to do that, but college football, I adored. I mean, we would sit around Saturdays and watch from morning until night college football. I also loved baseball. So part of the reason why I went to Michigan state was so I could play football and baseball. So after my freshman year, Bobby Williams gets fired. John L. Smith comes in and says, you're not playing baseball anymore. So my baseball career is over. So I was like, okay, that's fine. I go out there and then, um, you know, get an opportunity. Uh, we had a lot of turnover uh, at Michigan State when John L. Smith came in. They said, well, we want you to play personal protector. The way I was raised, my, my mom and dad, they said, uh, you know, anything I was going to do, I was going to do the best of my ability. So I went out there and started making tackles on special teams, played personal <laughs> protector, and I had fun with it. Man, Jim McElwain, who's the head coach at Central Michigan now, who, you know, was at Colorado State, and then also um, – at Florida, I, I would gravitated towards him and just started playing. So I think I earned the respect of my teammates then, tore my ACL in the bowl game in the Alamo Bowl right before I was about to become the starter. Went through a ton of adversity, but I think, again, that adversity, I came out better for it and earned the respect of my teammates. I went on to start three years at Michigan State and didn't win as many games as I would have liked, uh, but at the same time have such fond memories there. And then fast forward to the NFL, and it's, I mean, my career has taken so many different turns that I've just tried to worry about was what was right in front of me as opposed to looking down the line and saying, okay, what was me? Cause I got to the point where I was like, I'm in a business and I need to survive in this business. As I said before, and how can I do that? That daily approach of like, okay, this is what I need to accomplish today. I have short-term goals that I can, that I can set for myself to hopefully achieve the long-term goal of sustaining a career in the NFL. That's good stuff, man. And you obviously played, uh, you know, for quite a few teams where, where have you been where you've had a coach that just made an uh, indelible impression on you uh, as far as just their, their approach to the game or even just to life in general also? Uh, is, there, is there any coach that really stands out? I know B.A. is one of the, one of the good coaches <laughs> out there. Um, and, and I'll tap – I want you to mention maybe how you think he'll do down in Tampa with Brady and handling such a large persona and such a large person like him. But what coaches have really stood out and taught you uh, the most about you know, life and the game? Well, going back to it kind of ties in with the previous question about the confidence factor, if it, if it ever dipped. I think when I was at uh, Detroit and spending my early years there 
and not being able to have success, having to deal with injury and not really being able to ever get firm uh, footing on a career. When I went to Indianapolis, I remember being around Chuck Pagano and just the way he approached life, the way he interacted with people. I mean, we'd be walking down the hallway and I remember just like he would stop and ask me how I was doing and what was going on. So being around him, being in that organization, I have such fond memories. I was only in Indianapolis for eight months, but I look back on it. Uh, my, my oldest uh, son was born there. So I, I love Indianapolis, but being around Chuck Pagano and then Clyde Christensen was my quarterback coach who I still talk to. I still talk to those guys quite a bit. I mean, I've been so fortunate to be around not only great coaches, but great men that have led example by example for me um, in a lot of different ways and and helped me prepare that I wouldn't be in the position I'm in had I not kind of systematically met everybody that I did. You know, Drew, I know that throughout the, you talked about when you hurt your knee uh, at Michigan State, and then you had a couple of more knee injuries throughout your career. I've done this. I've had multiple injuries when I played. I had uh, a hip injury that actually took me out of the game of, of football. Um, and I know a lot of times players, when they get hurt, they want to get back on the field and they, and they, they get back too fast. And with, with all your injuries, how did you bounce back? Well, was there a process? Was there a mindset that you had to tap into? Because a lot of times, you know, it's one thing to get back on the field, but do you have the confidence? Are you thinking that, are you going to hurt your knee again? Are you going to hurt something again? Did that ever come up for you? And also your first year, I think you were out your, your rookie year due to an injury. Like, and, and how did you deal with that? How did you bounce back from it? I learned the politics of the NFL real quick about that injury. Um, I had a knee scope. They're like, oh, well, you're going to miss, you know, a couple of weeks in the preseason, but you'll be good to go. We just got to clean up your meniscus. And I was like, okay, yeah, I'll trust you guys. Yay. And then all <laughs> of a sudden I show up and it's like, you're going on IR. And I was like, what's IR? And they're like, well, you know, we just think that the doctor got in there and it's going to be longer than I was like, no, he never said a single thing about that. So I started to, to understand like roster manipulation and, and all of that stuff. And now I'll just sit back and kind of laugh and, and try and educate people on it because it's a real thing, like stashing players and doing stuff like that. So unfortunately that's the way that this business goes. People do it on every team. Um, but Dealing with that injury, it wasn't too difficult besides the standpoint that I lost my rookie year, which is difficult. Um, But mentally overcoming injuries, I would say, you know, I I was one that never wanted to wear a knee brace after I tore my ACL and messed up medial and lateral meniscus in my right knee. Like, I just didn't feel right. I didn't feel like myself. And part of my game, quote unquote, in in college was to scramble, was to move around. I mean, I ran speed option. I did all this stuff that that my body, uh, you know, paid for after. And I, I was also one of those guys that thought I was super tough. Like, Oh, I'm never going to slide. I'm never going to do this, but man, those guys are bigger, faster, stronger than me and hit way harder. And I wish somebody would have told me, Hey, stupid. No, you do need to slide. You do need to do this. And that's what I've tried to tell them as I've gotten older in my career and being around Baker, um, you know, Carson already knew to slide because he was older than me anyway, so I didn't have to educate him. But some of these younger guys that think they can run and scramble and last forever, it's hard. It, it doesn't sustain itself. You look at guys that are starting to break down, unfortunately, early in their career. I mean, Andrew, I love to death, but his body, like he just took a beating and he would fight for this extra yard. And I remember Tom Moore um, came up to me and he's like, that's why they pay the running backs all the money. <laughs> so I was like, okay, <laughs> good point. And I, I mean, I can tell you countless times. So my mindset shifted of like, oh, I'm an athlete playing quarterback. I'm going to do this. 
no, I, I'm a quarterback that's just trying to play quarterback. And, and so it shifted. I'm not as gifted as some of these young guys that are in the NFL today and doing that. And, and, you know, they need to be smart too, because they're getting hit by guys that are way bigger, faster, stronger. And eventually those hits take their toll on you. So, but you know, there's a point though, where you have to occasionally do it. Right. I mean, it's like, Oh yeah. No doubt. But, but as a quarterback, as a competitor, as a multiple sport, player and an athlete your whole life is their ability to to have that switch because i i couldn't i didn't have it i'd dive into the end zone on oh yeah and get mashed in the first quarter of the second game of the season and rod smith's like what are you doing man like i'm scoring a touchdown what, you, what am i doing um you 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 can't really shut that off can you or or can you i mean is it a trainable trait I don't know. I don't know if you can. I try to help people shut it off because I wish I could have. And I think, yeah, there's time. There's a time and place for that. But there's also that innate ability, the, the competitiveness that kicks in. But, you, yeah, you dive in the end zone in the first quarter. You you take it. I mean, so, you know, in hindsight, yeah, I, mean, I, I mean, sit there and say that. But at the same time, I don't know if I'd change a single thing because I think I ended up where I am because of everything I went through. So, so Kyler Murray last year, I'm watching this kid, and I'm sure you, you watched him a little bit. Uh, he's amazing. I don't think he knows quite well, quite yet how well he can, he's going to do as far as the fear he strikes in defenders trying to catch him. Now, he's, he, in my mind, plays to the level you've already reached through years and years of, of, of mental preparation where he, he'll go down on second down. He'll, he'll go down on third down. To me, though, there's been times where he's gone down, and it's like, Yo, dude, you should have stayed up. It's the fourth <laughs> quarter. You made the bad decision being safe. Like, to me, like, will we ever see his full potential or the full potential of a player who, like, Mahomes? I don't think Mahomes gives a, a rat's ass about any situation. He's making a play if the ball's in his hands. So how do you, how do you teach a youngster like Kyler Murray? And, you know, when are you going to go work for the Cardinals, man? <laughs> yeah i think there's balance in all of it i think you hit that that fourth quarter and it matters then, then you go try and win a football game um you know and maybe it's just again we're all a product of our experiences and yeah. i got my helmet concaved at michigan state i got hit by two guys trying to dive into the end zone on senior day at michigan state my hel my helmet literally caved in and uh oh, so man. Yeah, that was the end of it for me. Um, but it didn't change the way that I played. You know, I went on and <laughs> and did all of this the crazy stuff that I would continue to do in the NFL and try and, and dive. And, you know, when I played for Scott Linehan, we were running speed option, doing different stuff. But, yeah, I, I think Kyler Murray uh, and anybody, it's just kind of how you're wired. And, you know, it's also what makes us great in certain instances as well. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what comes up for me is – and I'm a Bills fan uh, – which is kind of weird because I'm from California, from San Francisco, and I'm a Bills fan. But uh, long story. But I, I love Josh Allen, but he scares the shit out of me. Oh, you know, I mean, I, I love him, his athleticism, but I love how he just grinds it out. But he scares the shit out of me, man. Oh yeah, like in the fourth quarter when he like lateraled the ball for no reason when they <laughs> he got like a second chance in a playoff game, and I'm sitting there, I'm going, oh my goodness, and I I I, I like. I thought they were draft, drafting Josh Allen when I was in Cleveland, when I went there. Um, you know, I, I was I, the whole reason why I w was going to Cleveland was to work with the number one overall pick at quarterback. It was just a matter of who it was going to be. Um, and I thought, you know, all indications pointed to him. So 
I mean, he is a, a fun talent to watch. But, yeah, you sit there and you're on the edge of your seat. You know, him, Sam, Baker, the, they all kind of have that flair. And you obviously add Lamar Jackson to the mix, too. All of those four quarterbacks are just you, – you never know what's going to happen because they can make a play that will change the game. Now you throw Cam Newton in in New England and you wonder what, aside from them cheating, if they can – what kind of creativity they're going to come with with him in, that, in a system there. Could be fun. Oh, man. You know, having seen firsthand, unfortunately, that NFC championship game that I was a part of with the Cardinals and then the year before the playoff game. I mean, he's such he's such a unique asset to have a quarterback because he can throw, because he can run. I don't think he's as beat up as everybody thinks he is. Um, yeah. You know, I, That's just an outsider's perspective. But being around North Turner, be, be able to you know, operate within the pocket because he operates well with the, out of the pocket. I mean, his arm is so strong, but I, I really think, you know, after developing my own philosophy and theory of, of how most quarterbacks have success in this league for a long period of time, you have to be able to throw on time. You have to be able to throw in rhythm. And he's starting to figure that out where early in his career, he could literally have somebody hanging on to him like Superman and, yeah. and still throw a bang eight with a hitch and just <laughs> and yeah. fly through the air. And you're like, nobody else can do that in this league. And still nobody else can. I don't care, you know, like Lamar Jackson, um, some of these scrambling type of quarterbacks that can get out of the pocket and do stuff. Carson Wentz, these big, strong guys, they still don't have just the God-given, you know, platform to throw off of like Cam does. So it'll be interesting to see how that can tie in with everything. And, I, you know, I, it makes so much sense in New England to be able to go that route, and it'll be fun to watch. No yeah, doubt. Before we get into uh, the, the out of the pocket, uh, we're going to elevate the show here in a couple of seconds, Drew. But <laughs> into that part of the show, all of us here know what it feels like to throw a touchdown. And this is one of my staple questions. If you were to describe just in one word, like what it feels like, whether if you're in the pocket or you're scrambling and you just throw that beautiful just dime, you just drop it in for a touchdown. Like what's that one word that comes up for you to describe that feeling? Hmm. One word. I was going to say, like, if it was like one thought, it would have been like, you saw everybody obviously saw the dance that I had against Seattle where I was running down the sidelines, talking trash to Cam Chancellor. But one word would probably be, I mean, I didn't have that many of them, probably jubilation. Mm, cool. You know, just of like one of these things that's just like, you reach pay dirt and you feel good and, and you're trying to put up points and do all that again. For me, my mindset was always as a quarterback, as a backup quarterback, especially, I just wanted to win a football game. I never cared about stats. I've never really cared much about anything because my stats weren't good anyway. So, you know, when I got to the NFL, I stopped caring about them pretty quick after you start throwing a lot of interceptions and not many touchdowns. <laughs> and then you don't get the chance to go back next week to correct those. So, you know, that's the way that it goes and, and you learn to move on exhilaration man is the word I always would think of you know when a touchdown was thrown the ones where you know they're coming though like a setup play you've worked on it's like oh this is gonna work in the red zone it works those are fun but it's those like those little dump offs or the little crazy scrambles and you hit somebody those were the ones that just exhilarating that feeling is amazing totally yeah what about so, you what was your word my mine's is joy like I just you know, when I, when I think about, you know, Jake and I have talked about this on, on a couple other shows, but when you describe the feeling of throwing a touchdown, I just, I, I, the Brett Favre pitcher comes up for me, like Brett just running with his hand up. It's just like, like you're like seven again, like on like recess, Jake, it's just, 
that feeling, just being joyful. Like it's like playing youth football again. Um, so that, that's the word for me is just joyful or joyous. I think uh, with that there saying joyous, we should go into more joyful moment in our podcast. Uh, although this has been a joy this whole time, but let's get to some out of pockets. I don't know how much time we got, but we're going to roll you some uh, off the cuff, kind of out of there, out of the pocket <laughs> questions here, Drew, if you're ready for it. Yeah, let's roll. You want me to start, Grant? Let me, let yeah. me go with that. I'm going to start. Here we go. So you're, you're a father of three with the fourth on the way. I'm a father of three and no more on the way. <laughs> so we've probably been through a lot of similar situations, very, you know, similar scenarios. Although I wasn't playing ball when I had kids. I don't know how you've done it. Although sometimes I wish I was still playing ball so I could go to the facility. But uh, <laughs> have you ever tasted Play-Doh? Just to see. Have I no, you ever tasted no, Play-Doh? No, I haven't. Not, e- not even as a kid? Not even when you were a kid? Probably as a kid, but I don't like the smell of it. And I don't like when my kids play with it because my daughter's two and she'll literally get every color out. And I'm kind of like OCD in that sense of like yeah. every color will be mishmash. And then it just turns brown. I'm like, all we have is a bunch of brown Play-Doh now because the pink mixed with the purple and the blue. And I'm like, and then it's everywhere and it breaks into those little pieces and then it gets in the carpet. I hate Play-Doh. Like, <laughs> I I got I you. Get rid of it. Well, it's salty if you ever wondered. <laughs> it's real salty. Uh, I was gonna say. Have you ever have you ever t- touched a nine volt battery to your tongue? Oh like yeah. It or for sure. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Why do you? Why did we do that? Isn't it supposed to see if it still works or charged or no? I don't know. Maybe that's just like a misconception. We were all told, like our friend told us that, like, oh, see if it still like works. Like, because you know, like back then you couldn't just plug it in to see if it was actually still charged. You like wanted to see if it was with your tongue. And it's the worst thing ever. Why would we do it? You don't forget Uh, that. No, it just came back to me. Like it was like whatever, like the olfactor system you have. Like, yeah, it's like touching an electric fence. You're like, is electric? It is. Okay. Yeah, I've done that too. You've done that too. All right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, so correct me if I'm wrong, but you're, you're known around your parts as pretty good with a crock pot, right? Yeah. Crock pot King. Would you say you do a lot of crock pot? I feel I, my crock, my crock pot game is pretty strong. Yeah. I feel okay. confident in it. I've got three of them. So <laughs> like during the COVID, have you come up with any new revolutionary like creations in the crock pot that you'd like to share with our audience no i've got a couple staples that i stick with man and and i've got this this pork shoulder butt that i i marinate in there for eight hours and then i get the uh the cast iron skillet and finish it on the cast iron skillet and like crisp it up so it's like a crispy carnitas that's my go-to um when I want to make crock pot, not granted, there's other things that we do. Um, being in the desert, it was a little bit different than being in Cleveland where we would make different soups and stews and, and stuff like yeah. that. But man, I, I love a good crock pot recipe. So if you guys have any, send them over <laughs> my way, please. Uh, I got my last question for you. You just moved, but if you could pick anywhere in the world, just like straight up anywhere for you and your family to go live and have, you know, your perfect scene situation, whatever, where would that be? I don't know. I think, uh, I mean, the, the only thing wrong with Arizona is we just don't have the ocean, but I guess that would be California and I'm not moving to California. I can promise you that. So <laughs> I got you. Uh, yeah, I grew up on the water in Michigan. I, I love Northern Michigan in the summertime, but wintertime, no thanks. So yeah. 
I mean, maybe like all things considered, if it wasn't so far from family and everything like that, Hawaii is a pretty awesome place. I could see myself kind of going off the reservation there and being able to do all that. The lifestyle there kind of suits my demeanor. Right on. Right on. All right, man. I got a couple here, a uh, couple fresh ones, Jake. We haven't heard some of the ones I'm going to throw. Yeah. All right. So some tattoo questions. Ooh. Yeah. So would you put a tramp stamp on your tailbone for $5 million? <laughs> so this was always, so we'd get in these conversations, right? Of like, would you? And then my question always was, or somebody was educated say, is this pre or post tax? Because if it's 5 million cash, it's basically like 10 million, you know, like, so <laughs> that's my question. But uh, how big is it? I mean, I got a lot of questions here. Just, just, just like straight up, like, hey, like, just yeah, with some like, with, like with roses and some thorns. Noticeable. It? It's noticeable. Yeah. <laughs> so noticeable. Like, no, I couldn't. Because then every time I take my shirt off, it's like, what's that? And now with kids too, it's like, no, I can't. I can't do that because I don't. I don't like tattoos, anyways. Personally, I've never had one. No, won't get one. Um, Me neither, man. So I couldn't have like a little bullseye on my back, especially <laughs> like you go to swim class and you're like, "Why does your dad have that on his back? Like, what is that?" Like, well, I got five million dollars for it. And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> All right, another uh, tattoo, and I know that you don't have a tattoo or want one, but. If you were put to put a tattoo on your body, two of them, of your favorite wide receiver and your favorite lineman, what would it be? Or who would it be? Yeah. Man, I don't like answering these questions. I know. I, I know. Left out, like, my favorite wide receiver and my favorite offensive lineman. My favorite offensive lineman that I played with was Lyle Sendeline when I was here in Arizona because, like, I mean, that guy would play through, like, I remember in a game one time, his leg was, like, going the other way. And he was like, hold on, just, like, threw it back in. He was like, okay, we're good. Let's keep playing. I was like, how are you this tough? Like, and he was just, I mean, I love the guy to death. Like, centers are quarterback's best friends because they help redirect everything. They see stuff, especially when you guys are working in tandem. Um, so, Lyle Sendeline was my favorite offensive lineman that I played with. Favorite wide receiver. I mean, I play with Larry. I play with Calvin. I play with Reggie Wayne. So it's tough to say who that is. And now being around Odell and Jarvis too, like I've been in some pretty rare air. Uh, I'm going to say Larry, cause he'll probably find some way to dig this up and use it against me if I don't, but I don't know if I want Larry and all of his hair like as a tattoo, but uh, if you in Arizona, maybe it would be worth it. You could put all of those faces. Like it'd be like a Mount receiver more on your tramp stamp. <laughs> yeah. yeah. There, exactly. you go. there you go. Yeah. <laughs> Might change your mind on tattoos, Drew, with that that statement there, Grant. You might just make him uh, start thinking about getting one. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, hey, oh. man, I think uh, we're we're nearing the end. I think uh, we really appreciate it. I, I'm I'm really excited though, just to see what happens for you next, Drew. I mean, you've had a great career. You've uh, obviously made an impact on many many players in the league, especially. At, number one position of importance at quarterback. So I imagine you could probably go work anywhere you want anytime soon. Um, I don't know what your plans are, but I know right now you're into uh, being there for your family, which is what I would say is the most important thing in the world. So keep that up. And I'm excited to see where you go next. And, uh, you know, we really appreciate you joining in and out of the pocket. Man. It's been fun having you as a guest. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks a lot for having me on guys. Yeah. I, uh, 
take some time and kind of see what's next and, and uh, you know, go from there. But whatever it is, I know uh, I'm going to be able to go at it full steam and, and have fun doing it. Absolutely. Well, thanks for being on the show, Drew. Really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks a lot. Thank you.